Hello and welcome back to Tales from Occult Insider. This is episode 37, The Great Escape. This does not have anything to do with Steve McQueen or other folks in that rather good movie. This is my escape, the story of my escape. And I know it's been a long time coming. And so buckle up. You're going to get right right to it. Quick intro again. If Man, if you're new to this, you are in the wrong episode, all right? But again, I was born and raised in a cult. It was splintered off of Scientology in the 60s in Oxford. Wound up in the United States and via Canada, Mexico, etc., etc. Uh, it schismed when I was born. Not because of me being born. I was the chosen one. The coming of the great chosen one. No. They just schismed because of infidelity. Uh, people sleeping around. And uh, as far as I know, maybe some other stuff too. And I wound up in the one run by the crazy lady, uh, Marianne, and uh, here I am. It became the Foundation Faith of God and Best Friends Animal Society. I helped build that, build that thing. It was cool. Uh, they would like to, I guess, act like they didn't have a bunch of kids, but that's their choice. That's silly of them. We are here. We are here. We are here. Just like in Horton, here's a who. Okie dokie. We are going to get to the story. I just want to do the quick plugs like usual. Please tell your friends. Tell your enemies, tell your coworkers, ask, hey, you listen to podcasts? Let me give you a little script here. Hey, buckaroo, as Brian Regan would say, do you listen to podcasts? Man, I've been listening to this rad podcast that's coming close to wrapping up. It's about this weirdo who grew up in a cult, and he's still really weird. Uh, and he tells these rambling stories that are weirdly compelling. And my life has been changed so many times. You should try it out. Uh, and so on. So do that. And that'll be good for all involved. Uh, Also, I'd love, if you're listening to this on a platform that allows reviews, I'd love for you to review this this thing. And as a reminder, you can tag me. uh, You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, Let me know that you're listening. You know, just uh, ping me over there. I'm just at Jared Garrett. If you want to email me, you can. I got an email recently, which is kind of fun. We'll talk about it maybe in another episode. Uh, It's just Jared, my name, J-A-R-E-D at jaredgarrett.com. And that's all that is because we got a lot to get through and I don't want to have this be much longer than a half an hour. I don't want to do a part two. I I like that we're going to get to 40 episodes and we're going to call it good. So I would like to keep it to that. All right, The Great Escape. So you've heard a ton. You've heard a ton about my childhood, right? Oh, also, we don't have any questions to answer. So here we go. You know about where I was born. You know about the cities I lived in. You know about Dixie and Swiss. You know about how um, they bought this ranch in southern Utah and they turned it from uh, Kanab Canyon. They renamed it Angel Canyon and they started building this animal rescue there. Uh, and I've maybe even alluded to a couple of times, especially in the story of the Scottish chick, uh, the the original desert headquarters that was in a town or just, just outside of a town, a few miles outside of uh, Kirkland. Arizona, which is um, about an hour or so from Prescott, Arizona. So um, that's how the locals say Prescott. You want to say Prescott, but it's Prescott. Oh, yes, it is. So uh, that was the original one. And it, it's what they called Faith Canyon. Is a really nice secluded valley ranch, uh, really nice um, area. I thought it was quite picturesque when I was there. As a, as a very young kid, I went there one summer. I don't remember how old, 10, maybe 11 at the most. Uh, and spent a very short time there. I only have a couple uh, brief memories, uh, but then I went there later. So, okay. So the context is I've been in Dallas. It's, I'm 16 years old. 
I've been in Dallas for um, since I was 10, uh, soon before I turned 11. Soon, well, not soon. Um, the, the school year that I turned 11. So I was in fifth grade. And that's where I lived was Dallas uh, from then on, right? Because Dallas was where all the kids went. That's where faith school was. To, and, and so kids started going to faith school at a pretty young age. Um, I believe we, gosh, we went, we probably went to first grade or so. Because, uh, yeah, these others, were, the other girls were quite small. So um, lived there. I started in Swiss, one of the houses there, then wound up over in Dixie. And then we moved north, of course. I talked about that a little bit, too, uh, to the suburbs of Dallas, a town called Richardson. I uh, talked about the promenade last time and the friends and easing in and out of the houses and um, me covering for people. And that's good stuff. Um, and uh, what that led to was here's what the cult looked like, looked like when I was 16. The branch in Dallas with 20 odd kids, maybe maybe a little bit fewer than 20, but not really many as far as I can remember. Um, not going to list them or anything. Uh, it, probably about 20 or so adults as well. Uh, and all of us divide, maybe more than 20 actually adults, all of us divided uh, between three residences and then a headquarters down in, in a little more downtown, closer to downtown, but not quite really downtown Dallas. And that's where the celebrations were and the children's ministry uh, efforts were done and, you know, the clowns that I already talked about. And then there was also a branch in Las Vegas um, that had been the San Antonio branch, but then it became the Las Vegas branch. Uh, and then there was the Denver branch. And th so those were the only three branches, three branches left, um, each with, you know, uh, quite a few adults and no kids except for Dallas. And then there was the headquarters in southern Utah, just a few miles north of Kanab, uh, just on this giant beautiful sprawling ranch you can't see the end of it as far as i know just a massive beautiful area full of great hikes and um and then they also had the headquarters that they'd purchased in arizona still uh from what i know they were trying to sell it and it wasn't selling i'm not sure why i mean i, mean, I, I wouldn't think that there's a hot market for ranches maybe there is i don't know maybe there wasn't then um and so they still had it and it may have been a bit of a financial weight to them which is which you know it's a shame because uh, it's a beautiful ranch. You know, I, I sometimes, you know, in what I'm about to share, had fantasies of maybe buying it one day. Anyway, so um, the the majority of uh, the adults were spread between the branches and the headquarters. And that was pretty – well, all the adults were spread between those. And the headquarters in southern Utah, um, you know, we'd gone out several years in a row to – several summers, you know, for those two months to help build it. And, um, and adult – the kids that I'd been growing up with – had for the most part uh, been moving, staying in the cult, you know, and moving on into the adult version of it um, where they were becoming funders, those people who went out and got money from people on the streets. Uh, a couple of them were going into other roles at Best Friends, like my brother, he helped publish the magazine, which was a great effort and, a, and really a good fit for him. I think it gave him some great experience and he had, um, he made some good friends uh, and he was able to build some real connections with people, which is valuable. Um, and others went to work, you know, at the cats and at the dogs and stuff like that, because that was just kind of where their hearts were, which is great. Um, and then a few folks had found their way out. Uh, one had found her way into the Navy. Um, a couple of fellers had found their way into the, the Marine Corps. Uh, those are the twins um, and so on. So um, I was in the oldest crowd. You know, my, my cadre, my, my cohort was the older group, older kids there, oldest kids. There were four of us boys, uh, one girl um, who were all in the age range of 16 coming on 17. And uh, that's where we were. And Dallas was, we went to school. Our days were go to school, 
uh, get chewed out for, with some regularity for dumb reasons and just try to live life. I spent one summer, our first summer uh, there, in, in my honestly, my only summer there in the suburbs, uh, writing handwriting, longhand, a book uh, that was basically a, a style copycat of Robert Ludlum's stuff like The Born Identity, eating ramen and or Cool Ranch Doritos. That was great. Um, and then also spending time out in the garage, working out and jump, going over to El Santo, which is where the, the, the lion's share of the adults lived and practicing diving and swimming around in that pool. I loved swimming. I loved it. I still do. Um, at least when my shoulder's not a mess and which it is now. So I feel pity for Jared. Um, and, um, but it was still sucky. I mean, and you know, I, you know, I'd grown used to just the way life was. I didn't like it, but I knew how to get through it. I knew how to get through each day. Um, but it was deeply irritating, and I had dreams of getting out, you know, and trying to start a, a different life, you know, have a have a have my own life, maybe even for a couple of years of high school. Um, I, I, I fantasized about um, somehow having the money to buy a, a vehicle or maybe having my grandma, my mom's mom, buy me a vehicle when I got out. Um, and letting help so that I could drive to school and be awesome. I imagined myself in this open top Jeep rumbling up to school and all cool and stuff. That is not what happened, my friends. Nope, it was not. Also, I didn't have a license. I got a license, um, a little while after I graduated in any case. Um, so, you know, the kids were being a bit troublesome, you know, I'm, as I mentioned, sneaking in and out and stuff, taking off, uh, the adults and especially Lucia, she was, she, surely she saw that she was losing control. Uh, of we kids. And so us kids, excuse me, good grammar, Jared. And then um, that was that. And uh, Mark at some point really pissed somebody off, like made Lucia livid at some point and, and was apparently just looking like a lost cause. And so she decided to wash her hands of him. And so she actually somehow got him sent to Faith Canyon, the, the ranch in Arizona, kind of banished, exiled, I think it was for like to do hard labor and to learn the error of his ways. It's like one of those um, youth camps where people are supposed to work and work out their deal. And Mark, you know, he was a troubled guy. Um, that's okay. Most of us were troubled people. Uh, was it going to work? I, I, I doubt it. But uh, Mark, Mark was there. And all of a sudden, I realized something. Mark was no longer under the thumb or eye of Lucia, the crazy person. Now, I will point out that I... I want, you know, I faced her down that one time. You know, I think I talked about this. You know, I kind of looked her in the eye and she looked away and got all goofy and weird. So I, she, she had no power over me. We, we, she sat me down to lecture me more than once and said, you're not listening. And I, and I would say, I am definitely not listening. Um, she knew that she had no power over me. Um, I treated her like an equal or somebody even less than me. Nobody had physical power over me because I was physically capable of defending myself. And I showed that I, I wasn't intimidated. I started stepping in and, and, you know, like I mentioned before, I think in an episode and getting Jason to stop laying into kids, which was good. Um, and, and so, you know, I didn't have any fear of these people, um, but it was still a crappy existence. But then I realized, hey, Mark's gone. He's not, he's not having to, you know, watch his back all the time. He, he's in Arizona. Um, and surely it would be easier to get out if I were just in Arizona with nobody watching me because I knew um, everybody knew that the only person in Arizona, the adult, adult wise was this woman named Sharon, not the Scottish chick, but a really funny older lady who just loved birds. And she kind of looked like a bird, funny, you know, a little flighty, 
bird-like, you know, um, and, but intent on being devoted and faithful to what she had decided to give her life to. And so she was the main caretaker of Faith Canyon as they were trying to sell it. And it was helpful for Mark to be there because he helped maintain property and kind of make it look good. Um, and I thought, well, <laughs> it turned out, I didn't know that then, but I, it turned out that was the case. And then I thought, well, I mean, that looks really good. I want to get to banish to Arizona and maybe I can get out from there. Uh, and so I took that seriously and started making a plan. And I started making the plan um, at the, um, let's see, beginning of 1991. Uh, so probably about January or February. I'm like, this, uh, I'm doing this. No, no, it wasn't, that early, it wasn't that early in the year. It was probably more like, um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was more like in April. Uh, no, it was after my birthday. That's right. Because he had, was banished after my birthday. And I started making a plan that I'd get banished to Arizona and then I would get out of there. From there, I'd just hitchhike somewhere, maybe California or Denver or something else. Um, Oregon, you know, Washington sounded great. Uh, and so I made that plan and then I started executing my plan right away. And what I did was I would just kind of walk through grocery stores um, and I would pick up boxes. You know, I'd ask, hey, do you have any extra boxes, any empty boxes? And I'd get some. So I got quite a few boxes, collapsed them and put them under my bed, and sometimes in between my box spring and my mattress to hide them, I didn't want people to know that I was stockpiling empty cardboard boxes. But I got enough um, that, it, that all of my stuff would easily fit into them. And then I deliberately started making the adults angry. Um, I, I one time was hanging with uh, Ananda and Alicia, two of my dear closer friends who are like my sisters, um, and uh, their mother, who's a sweet lady, as far as I know, Nicole, I uh, found that inappropriate, which, you know, she's probably right, honestly. I was a 17-year-old kid hanging with her ki her daughters who were, I, I, I don't know, 15 and, and 12 or 13. I don't know how old they were, younger than me. And she thought it was inappropriate because we were just playing. But it wasn't inappropriate. We were just goofing around, innocent, because we were good friends and had a lot of fun together. Um, and so she, she told Ananda that she should tell me that I shouldn't be hanging with them. And I'm like, well opportunity knocks, I'm open the door. So I went down and found Nicole that night or the next night, uh, counting money amongst the funders. There was always this long group of people pouring over their bills and their coins, stacking them. Guys, by the way, I have a skill. I used to help count the money. I, I'm able to count coins quicker than most people that you know. Um, I can make stacks of them. I can, I can throw them in my hand and count them really fast, make a stack of 10. It's real easy. Anyway, um, a funny tidbit. Uh, and I got her attention and I said, Nicole, Ananda tells me that, um, that, that you were upset that I was hanging with them. You know, in the future, go ahead and just come straight to me. Uh, talk to me. Treat me like, like, you know, somebody you respect. And she was just like, what the crap? This is a kid talking to me this way. And she got mad. And I pushed and I pushed her buttons. I had a great time. I was totally calm. I'd already, you know, faced down Jason. This wasn't a big deal. Uh, I had a bit of a crap-eating smile on my face. And uh, egged her on until she had lost her temper and uh, the exchange ended somehow. And I did things like that a little more. I pushed Lucia's buttons more and showed that, just gave a, an expression that said, I'm being entertained by you. Um, <laughs> and I did that with Jason a couple of times, uh, showed utter dismissiveness of all of their restrictions and just started hanging out, doing whatever I wanted um, with the intent that I would get banished. Um, and um, that is where I'm going to pause for a quick uh, word from my sponsor, and I'll get to how this all panned out. 
So what happened was that I got word that I would be heading to Faith Canyon and victory triumph. Yay. I was given about a week's notice. And so, you know what I did, my friends? I got out my boxes and the tape that I'd hidden and I built the boxes and I put all my things very carefully, almost all my clothes, just, just everything that I wasn't taking with me to Faith Canyon. What I took to Faith Canyon was my radio, uh, quite a few tapes because I got to have my music, you know what I'm saying? Uh, quite a few clothes, and um, that was pretty much it, and maybe some valuable things that were valuable to me. I packed up my clothes. I packed up any other uh, accessories I had. I probably ended up with seven or eight boxes or so, and then I got a marker and wrote big all over them after closing them tightly with tape. Jared's send when he asks for them. On every single one and several different faces of the box, I wrote Jared's send when he asks for them. Uh, and then I put them in the back of my closet, and uh, let some other things hang in front of them. Like I had a roommate sometimes named Dennis, a younger kid. And so I made sure his clothes were in front and then maybe something else. So they were kind of out of sight, not immediately seen when you get in the closet unless you kind of look a little deeper. Uh, and that was that. And so when I got in the car to get driven to um, Faith Canyon from Dallas, I, um, I was ready to go. I had all my stuff packed up. My bike was in the garage. Um, and my um, punching bag was in there. I'd packed up all my slip punching bag gloves, all that stuff. It was all packed up. So I was all set. Uh, and I landed in uh, Arizona. I'd uh, batted, you know, however long it took, like, I don't know, a day or so to drive there from Dallas. And uh, there I was, banished, out from under the eye of Lucia, never to ever be under her thumb ever again. I should have celebrated in some way, but I did not. And Mark and I, we know we're like, hey, old, old chums. And he's like, this is the greatest thing. And he was right. You know, he started to teach me to drive stick shift. I nearly killed us. I'll tell you that in a second. Uh, I learned to drive a backhoe. Or drive a backhoe. I learned to drive a tractor. I learned to drive cattle uh, because there were some cattle, a flo uh, flock, <laughs> a herd of cattle that would um, cross our the, 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 the ranch from one feeding or grazing area to another almost daily. And we had to get pretty good at driving them off the property, which is fun. Uh, I cut grass in a large field a couple of times. I used a tractor and a pickup truck to dredge the smallish lake, biggish pond. Um, I uh, did all kinds of things there. Um, you know, harvested peaches from the, 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 the orchard, uh, crossed from the main front house to the back house of where um, the leader used to live uh, in the middle of the night when th there was nothing but skunks. That was terrifying. You know, you're you step out the door and you see a bunch of glimmering eyes. You turn on your flashlight. It's like eight or nine skunks or something. And so you just very calmly, very purposefully and quickly walk to the other house because you do not want to get sprayed with skunk spray. I never got sprayed. Lucky me. I don't know if, if Mark ever did. I don't know. Isaac wound up there sometime later. And soon after Isaac wound up there, uh, Stephen wound up there. He showed up. Stephen is the, I think he's from Hawaii. Uh, he's certainly got some Japanese heritage. Uh, he, he's a neat guy, relatively cool, um, but, you know, he's a big part of the organization, so he does what he's told. I, th I don't know if he said he wanted to go there. I don't know if he was sent there to kind of bring us into line, but he started acting like kind of our sensei, um, our teacher, our guide, our mentor, our sage, you know, whatever. Uh, he had us learn to meditate, which I'd already been doing. Um, he had us try to discover what our powers were, like what special abilities we might have, and, you know, I... I played along and, you know, I felt like I could, I had the ability to, when my eyes were closed and I was deep 
deep in my meditation, I could kind of still tell what was going on around me with my other senses. A little Daredevil-esque. I'd, I'd read Daredevil. I knew what I was talking about. Uh, and he also had us do some other interesting things, um, like he had us walk over hot coals. Yeah, I don't remember walking over them, but I'm sure I did because everybody did. They weren't all that hot from my memory, and they were a little bit more pokey than hot in my in my feet. But, you know, we were supposed. To, he was there to try to guide us and help us become men. He also had us do vision quests. Now that's not appropriation. He just said thought we should, and appropriation wasn't a thing back then. Um, so he he had us go one by one, each of us young men, be gone for 24 hours. We would leave. Um, I think early in the morning. We left early in the morning. Yeah, and. Um, we would go, we were to just go away with, you know, a bottle of water or something like that uh, and whatever things we could carry, which wasn't much, and then be gone for a day, come back the next morning, um, or was it in the evening? It might have been in the evening. It might have been like for the daylight. I don't know if we were supposed, you know, I don't think we were supposed to sleep out overnight. So, yeah, it was probably like a 16-hour thing. Uh, anyway, sun up to sundown is probably what it was. Um, and we were supposed to seek visions. You know, we could hike, we could sit, we could do whatever. And I had a really good experience, honestly, when it was my turn. Um, I, none, none of us made it the whole day without having to come back down to get water. I actually wound up refilling my water bottle in a stream. Uh, and I got kind of sick, actually, for a couple of days. It was unpleasant. But, yeah, it was such as life. I uh, went for a hike at the first uh, at first, and then I came back to just above, to, to one of the cliffs that were just above uh, where the ranch was, where the houses were. Uh, and, um, only a couple of houses and then a warehouse and stuff. Um, and, uh, perched there. I, I, I had, I, I collected three yucca plant sticks. Yucca plants have these st tall, straight, fairly strong sticks, collected them. And I'd brought along a couple of sheets and a luggage strap. And I tied those, um, sticks together with a, with a sheet around it and made myself a teepee. So I just sat in the shade the whole day, um, after taking my hike. Uh, and meditated and thought and goofed around and did whatever. And then I went down and it was fine. I had a good time. Uh, didn't have like a big life-changing experience, but, you know, it was nice to have that time quiet. Uh, but remember, I, I had a lot of quiet time to myself, you know, so I, it wasn't like it was a whole lot different. It was just warmer. Uh, one fun note was that um, I took a nap during the day, woke up and saw some vultures circling above me. My legs were out of the, out of the teepee because I couldn't stretch out in it. I could sit under it and be in the shade whenever I... I wanted to, but anyway, that was fine. Um, that was the vision quest for us. Um, you know, that was fine. And one time, um, when it was time for me to really try to learn to drive the truck, uh, the stick shift truck, I drove it in first, uh, first gear around the, the ranch. There was this kind of road that you would wound around the ed outskirts of the ranch and through it. I did that in first gear and was get, was able to get up to second gear, uh, pretty well. And then one time in the evening without permission, of course, cause why would we even ask for permission. Um, Mark and I, he, we, we went out to, I, I drove it down the big, long two mile or so driveway, dirt road driveway out to the highway, which is where you, you get off the, our driveway onto the highway and that's that. Um, and turned right and started to go, but I, I bottomed out and stalled it, uh, going, trying to go from first to second gear. I was a little nervous and I tried, I, you know, I started it and I, stalled it again. I was a little more nervous. And then we heard a truck coming behind us and we're like, oh, frick. So we j jumped out of the car and ran, changed seats and Mark got us going and got us hauling butt. But not before we heard the semi truck that was bearing down on us slam its brakes on and goes, uh, we were real close to death, my friends. That would have been a bad thing. Uh, we, 
zoomed ahead and then turned around and went back home and uh, we're terrified adrenaline running through us through us and uh, the next day we went out and saw oh at least 100 feet of uh, rubber uh, on the highway where the truck tried to stop to not kill us which was good of them for not killing us uh, fun stories there uh, there I also for some weird reason spent an evening um, listening to over and over uh, ice ice baby from vanilla ice uh, and memorizing the words and a couple of other songs from that album from vanilla ice you know I still know some of that you know all right stop Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with my brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Pulls like a heartstring daily and nightly. Will it ever stop, yo? I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal. Light up the stage, stage I wax a jump like a candle. Dance, because I'm a miracle, lyrical poet. Anyway, so that's where I'll stop, because that's where I remember, too. That's crazy. That was a long time ago. I was 17. Good times. Um, and um, then I, you know, I, we, we, we divided responsibilities. It was me, Mark, and Isaac taking care of the work, you know, uh, we cleaned the house, we did the cooking, we did all kinds of things. I listened to a ton of Skid Row, a ton of Survivor and Journey, um, had a great time. It was, it was fun. Uh, we never once worried about Lucia. And, um, you know, one time I actually bought beer, no, I had Sharon buy beer so I could make beer battered, um, uh, onion rings. They turned out really well, by the way, I need to do that again. Haven't made them since. It's weird. Anyway, so, uh, as time waxed on, I was like, well, I bet it's, I guess it's time for me to start thinking about getting out of here. Um, you know, this it was, um, I don't know, probably beginning of July. I don't know. We didn't celebrate the 4th of July really, really at all. Um, I guess we saw the fireworks sometimes. It was 4th of July or early, early July or, or something like that. And uh, I got a phone call from my mother, Magdalene. And she said, well, Jared, uh, I have some news for you. Uh, the Dallas branch is being closed. Um, and, um, you're going to need to decide what you want to do, uh, next. And she also, what she didn't really say was why, why it was closing. And I can give you a couple of thoughts on that. And, um, it turned out all of the branches were closing. And so we talked again the next day and it was all the branches were being closed. It was a strategic move time to, you know, go all in on the, on the animal sanctuary um, and so all of the branches, Denver and Dallas and Las Vegas were being closed so that people would just all come to best friends and help build best friends out. It was time, uh, in, in, which is what is being said or was said to me. Um, and if they were being at all truthful, they would say that because they would be talking about the religious branches that they used to have, but they don't say that stuff. Anyway, the truth was that there was a walkout. Uh, I believe it started in Dallas and then that cascaded to other branches. People who were just getting more and more disaffected. They had joined this commune um, to help out, to help with animals, to maybe even help kids. Um, and more and more they were getting disaffected with it. And the people in Dallas were being abused mentally and emotionally and verbally every night. Um, just manipulated and ter just treated terribly. And so they wound up walking out. Uh, and that was the uh, cascading event. Um, my mother and John, the man who talked like this, were sent to Dallas to close it up. And I hear that they were quite stern. <laughs> That's all I know. Uh, and, and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, anyway, my mother finally, you know, she, she, we call, she, we talked. And this was after uh, the, the incident of Sharon coming to see me and that not working out. And um, I'd still like to find her. Sharon, if you ever hear this, you know, Look me up. I'd like to say hello and make sure that you're doing okay. Uh, I, I'd love to hear that you're, you, you've, you've just got a great life. Uh, I have an awesome life myself. So um, I 
she, my mother said, hey, so here's here are your options. You know that your father uh, at the time, Enoch, and his wife, Evelyn, at the time, she, they go by their other names now, and my, their daughter, my sister, Emma, whom I babysat many times over the years uh, and watched a lot of The Little Mermaid and memorized every song, unfortunately. Um, they, they've been living in Kanab for a year or so. Uh, he's offered that you could live with them, but most of the kids, she said, and she said that first option quite dismissively, but most of the kids, she said, were going to live in one of the buildings on Best Friends called the Pueblo. Uh, which was some ways uh, away from like where the bunkhouse was um, and the village as well, just kind of out there. Uh, apparently, I think the Pueblo had been, um, I think that that had been a, uh, a residence for many adults for a while. And actually the last summer that we were up there, um, maybe the last summer or two that we were up there doing the, or the work that we had to do, we our tent city was above on the hill above the Pueblo and some of the older kids actually got to sleep in the Pueblo. And actually my last summer there, I got to sleep in the Pueblo instead of in a tent city. I think nobody was in tent cities at that point, if I recall. That was fine. That was fine. Anyway, so um, she said a lot of the kids are going to end up in the Pueblo, and they'll those who are still in school, they'll you know they'll get a, a ride down to Kanab every day for school, uh, but they'll still help out and be be a part of this. And uh, you know, to spare her feelings, my mother's feelings, uh, because I was a decent guy, I said, you know, I'm going to need to think about that. But you all know what my answer was. There's no way. I would stay in that thing. It was like, doors open, I'm out of here. And so, um, you know, a couple of days later, we spoke again and I said, you know, I, I thought about it and I, I'm going to go ahead and move in with Enoch um, and I'm going to go to school down to Kanab and stuff. And so that was that. Um, and a couple of weeks later, um, it was arranged that we would all be picked up from Faith Canyon and driven to Kanab. And I was driven to Kanab and uh, driven through Kanab and... Um, went up to best friends and was dropped off at the steel building, which was the big warehouse. And that's where I waited. And Enoch, my dad came and got me a little while later, um, with my sparse belongings. Uh, and some weeks later, my boxes from Dallas showed up. And a, a little while after that, my bike was unearthed from somewhere in this, in this big warehouse. So I ended up having all my stuff to me and even my punching bag. Um, I still want to know, Man, I would love to know who it was that went, you know, to pack up, probably irritated, having to pack up people's stuff into my room, thinking they'd have to pack up my stuff and finding all my stuff packed up in the back of the closet, well labeled. Uh, I would love to know their expression. I'd love to know what kind of murmuring or uh, whispers there were about that. But, um, you know, my plan worked. But then I got really lucky. You know, the plan was to just take Chike out of there and go live on my own for a while and then send for my stuff. But I didn't have to. Because the cult was was weakening um, and fractured, and that was that. Uh, so I got very lucky in my escape. Um, and, and honestly, you know, if I'd had end up have ended up having to hitchhike out of there, it would have been a true escape. But though, as it was, I didn't. It didn't really feel so much like an escape as a an opportunity to to take the next step in my life. Uh, and I wound up sleeping on my dad's floor. Um, I slept on his <clears throat> living room floor for. You know, that school year, and um, that's how I got out. That's how I wound up not being in the cult anymore and was just kind of shocked that any of the kids that I'd grown up with had stayed. And that was probably the first, you know, deep, certain inkling that I'd gotten that that, that we'd all had very individual experiences. You know, the mind had been, you know, roundly negative. Every interaction with the adults 
well, not every, but like 99% of my interactions with the adults were negative. I had nobody in there that I felt like I could trust. I had no good relationships, positive relationships that I felt like I needed to hold on to for my own health, uh, for my personal benefit. Um, I felt like the unquestionably I needed to get out of there. And I'd known that for some time, but many of those kids stayed, you know, uh, and, and, and it's clear that they were able to stay with their parents. Um, but my, of course, option was move in with my father and his wife and my sister. And it was great. It was a great experience. And I'll talk all about, um, uh, what came right after in my next episode. Um, but, uh, that's, that's the story of it. You know, the sort of escape, sort of extremely lucky, um, door opened, got out, don't let the door hit you on your way out type thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I really did, um, spend some time, uh, after making sure that I, 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 trying to build a relationship with my mother. And I'll talk about that in the next episode as well. I'll talk about being the new guy in a small town. Um, and you know, a couple of other things in the next episode, episode 38. Uh, but until then, I hope you've enjoyed the story of my great escape, sort of escape. It was going to work. It was, uh, I don't think I would have been murdered as I hitchhiked to somewhere, but who knows, maybe I would have been. So I'm glad of, I'm glad it all turned out the way it did. And I had a really nice time in that, in that ranch. And honestly, one day I wouldn't mind going back. I did some good things there. You know, I had the biggest, most delicious peach of my life. I used a jackhammer for the first time to cut out a bunch of concrete in a, in one of the houses there and start help install something. Um, just had some great experiences. And so, um, all of it valuable. Even the negative is turned to good because God's grace is real. Uh, thank you for tuning in to episode 37, The Great Escape. Remember to review. Remember to tell your friends. You can click on support and give me a buck to help me buy a loaf of bread or whatever. Um, and tell your friends. Find me on social media as well. Until then, I want you to keep looking around you and finding who needs help and lift some low hands. Okay, guys? I'll see you next episode.